1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
0: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Today I am joined by Chris Beasley, Adam Jones, Dave Prentice as we look back on a good win for Everton the first one of the season. Prento, you were there. It's now been 194 days, 540 minutes and six months since Everton conceded a goal at Goodison Park. Did that shine through for you, the the, the the defensive solidity that we've carried
2: on from last season? Yeah, definitely. Um, February the 6th, wasn't it? Gabriel Jesus in the last minute of uh, the City game. I knew it had been a while. I didn't know it was quite as long as that. And um, It's weird, actually, how a switch has suddenly been flicked, because up until that game, you we were looking quite leaky, if you think about it. You know, there was, um, The Wolves game was only four days previously. Prior to that, we had Spurs. and. Whether it's a mindset, whether, you know, Marco Silva's messages finally got through, whether it's the performances of individuals, I think it's probably a combination of all those factors. Because from that, that game onwards, things have just looked better and better. Um, and if you think about some of those clean sheets, they've not come against, you know, sort of, uh, Premier League's lower lights. Liverpool, they were scoring goals for fun, you know, were, were shut out. Manchester United were shut out, so were Arsenal, so were Chelsea. Um, okay, Watford aren't necessarily you know so sort of you're know, the biggest like attacking threat in the world, but they still pose a threat certainly from set pieces. Um, but you know they were kept you know to a minimum of um, efforts as well. So yeah, it's just it's been very very impressive. And like I say, a number of factors contribute to it. But if you can keep clean sheets, you know you're halfway towards picking up serious points because you only need to score one goal as you did at the weekend, and suddenly it's three points. And one man, Adam, has been picking up a,
0: a lot of praise, and you know. This this time last season, well, you know, midway through last season, towards the end of last season, there was there was some doubt about King Gerald of Columbia, wasn't it? But <laughs> so he has he has bounced back <laughs> with a plum, and yeah, uh, I you know mean, they get, get get a lot of plaudits, and rightfully so.
1: I'm not sure how many people are calling him that. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think plaudits are rightly coming his way. To be honest, uh, you know, it's you know been well documented what happened to him last season. You know, he had. A really rough time of it through injuries, didn't he? And uh, he never really got the chance to show us why Everton spent so much money on him. But I think it was important for him to get a good run in the Copper America in the summer. I think that's flown under the radar a little bit that, you know, he, he managed to exit the Copper America without conceding a goal with Colombia. Uh, got a decent pre season behind him this time. Looks like he's much fitter, much stronger. Uh, and I think, you know, playing next to Michael Keane, who, you know, you can almost equate their campaigns, like first campaigns almost, because Michael Keane struggled with injury, of course, in his first season at Everton. Uh, He had his deltas going into last season, and, you know, he's come on leaps and bounds since then, he looks like a real leader in that back line now. I think Michael Keane being next to Mina has really helped him through, and I think Mina has looked absolutely quality in those first two games, you know, uh, especially against Watford, like, you are you notice that challenge in the first half, you know, that, uh, that little lunge on Delafeu. and uh, you think to yourself, oh, and, uh, and, and then uh, it turns out that he made a fantastic tackle so, you know, if he can keep doing stuff like that then he's only going to get better and better.
2: I, I'm going to name drop spectacularly here because um, obviously I was fortunate enough to be in the other uh, board before the game on uh, Saturday and uh, Farhad Mashiri um, talking to him about Yerimina and he was convinced that Yerimina will be an upgrade on Kurt Zouma. That was uh, the phrase he used. Now, obviously, he would say that because, obviously, he's brought the fella into the football club, you know, and he's very responsible, you know, for that signing. Um, but after initial... I don't know worries about him. You know, for me, the first couple of times we saw him, his debut at Chelsea apart, where he did look excellent, but there were a couple of moments where you thought, mm, you know, a bit of Ramiro Funes Mori going on here, where you worry about him being a little bit overly ambitious at times. But that seems to have been eradicated very, very quickly. And like you say, Adam, in the last few performances, he's been impeccable. And, uh, and he was great, again, at the weekend, um, absolutely solid. Michael Keane's helped him. And that incident you're talking about, yeah, you know, initially your heart's in your mouth a little bit. But then you look at it and you think he's right to actually remonstrate with De La Feu because there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. You know, so it was just like a mad dive. So he has been absolutely spectacular. To be an upgrade on Kurt Zuma though, I think he needs to show now consistency of, of fitness. He needs to basically try and escape injury. Now that's, you know, comes onto the realms of good fortune more than anything. I wouldn't say, you know, he's done anything wrong. You know, he's just been very, very unfortunate in terms of picking up injuries during his first twelve months or so. So if you can stay clear of injuries and get a good run together, who knows, yeah. You know, it, it could be we might all be sat here in six months' time thinking, Why were we so hung up about Kurt Zuma? and obviously bees when the the transfer
0: window closed you know mm-hmm. th- there was a lot of worry that Everton didn't didn't land the centre yeah. half and there was that kind of last ditch attempt for for Marcus Rojo. as the the first two games of the season kind of eased your worries that you know Keane and Mina can can be a dependable partnership for the season I- injuries and suspensions yeah. permitting?
3: yeah i don't think it's all the Concerns was over the, them as a partnership, although, like we say, it is very much a, a fledgling partnership given that um, Keane was mostly with Zuma last season. I think the concerns is more if anything happens to one of those two because they are very much two, the f- two first-choice centre-backs now at, at the club and the sort of partnership you want to see week in, week out. We just hope they can both get over 30 games under the belts each, each season. It is m- mostly them because the the alternatives... Um, that. There aren't many, um, we saw Jags on the bench at Sheffield United uh, again um, yesterday, but I mean, other than Mason Holgate, who's come back from his half a season on loan at West Brom, where he was mostly playing right wing back, yeah. I believe so, so um, he, he'd be the next in line, but other than him, it, it, you're looking at the, the club's youngsters, um, so I know, and obviously the lad um, Gibson did well in pre-season, but you know, it's it's a different um, scenario in the Premier League, so you no, know, I don't think there's any concerns over those two, the concern is just that they both stay fit, like we said.
2: Because, I mean, I thought Holgate looked very, very shaky when he came on. Yeah. I know it was only a 10 or 15-minute cameo and it's a difficult game to come into, but he just didn't seem to get the pace of it at all, did he? His passing was sloppy and it, it worried me a little bit. But that, that's for the future, you know, so if he's called up on, hopefully that will just be a one-off and he'll settle down. And obviously with, with Lucas Dean kind of going off with, with, with a niggle of an injury,
0: Adam, do you think it's kind of... Is this where it'll just kind of show through? If, if Lucas can't play on Friday against Aston Villa, how good a deal it was for Everton to, to pin Leighton Baines down to a, to a new one-year deal in the summer?
1: Well, f- fingers crossed. He's, he's fit yeah. himself. Uh, he's had a full week of training in f- at Finch Farm, apparently. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be ready and raring to go. And I think that's exactly why, yeah, Marco Silva will have wanted to desperately keep Leighton on board because, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a different situation. You know, with Phil Jagielka, Phil Jagielka could have been fourth or fifth choice center back coming into this season if circumstances had gone our way across the summer and we'd have kept him on board whereas with like if you kept Leighton Baines on board he's always going to be the back left back I think he's always going to be second in line and you know I think he's shown I think it was the Huddersfield game last season uh, I've talked about it a lot but I think he showed exactly why Marco Silva wants to keep him on board he's obviously still a quality footballer in the Premier League he can still cut it in the Premier League and I think his experience in the back line of being able to, you know, come in and take that position from Luca Dean if he's deemed to be not fit for this game, I think that could be crucial. And uh, he's just he's already shown that he can work in a Marco Silver system. So yeah, I think it's a majorly important deal.
2: What was the issue with Dean? Because uh, I noticed on the pitch afterwards, he was like, I wouldn't say running around, but he was picking people up and <laughs> carrying them around, you know, so i celebrating. I thought, hang on, if you're injured, I don't want you doing <laughs> stuff like that. See, <laughs> it
1: seemed to be a bit more of a precautionary thing, yeah, didn't it, rather than anything else. Yeah. yeah, so fingers crossed. I'm
0: going gonna, I'm gonna to use me, uh, my English degree to, to full effect here. You've been there for, for the best of times and the worst of times at, at Goodison Park.
2: <laughs> Tale of two cities, yeah, go on. <laughs> exactly.
0: And where, where does this kind of atmosphere that Everton have got going at these home games, you know, I know obviously that the flags were left on seats at the weekend, but the last couple of home games, certainly towards the end of last season, were some of the best we've had for, you know, the best part of a couple of years. What kind of effect can you see that having on the players on the pitch at the moment?
2: It clearly helps, I mean, we've heard so many players being interviewed, you know, talking about it, it was with Charlison, you know, in the build up to this game, talking about, you know, sort of how much the crowd makes an impact on him, uh, and we can't underestimate it. Uh, too often in the past, you know, we've we've sat there and we've thought, is it the players that need to inspire the crowd first, get the crowd going, or do the crowd have an obligation to try and get behind the players and therefore get a, you know a performance that way? And too often in the past, it, it's been the former. It's been you know sort of basically people sitting back and waiting to be entertained. And that's not been the case over the last few games. Whether it's too simple to say it's the introduction of the siren, I don't know. I mean, obviously that. Novelty will eventually wear off, and you know, so people will getting more used to it. But it definitely helps because it still has that freshness. But I think it's also why people at the ground are looking at new innovations. And I know the flags, you know, wasn't everybody's cup of tea. Um, you know, it was seen to be a little bit artificial in some areas. I thought it was fine. You know, so a lot of the uh, younger fans seem to enjoy it. It didn't get in the way, did it? It just got a nice atmosphere going at the start of the game, yeah. And then you know, the crowd took over. Um, obviously, the guys that designed those absolutely magnificent, you know, sort of banners, um, you know, will be back in the streets, and you know, so for the next home game, hopefully, that'll make a difference. But I think a lot of it is because. The home performances have been good, yeah. and so people go there feeling, you know, a sense of positivity. Uh, when you haven't considered a goal since February the 6th, and when you've battered Man United 4-0, and you've finished the season on a real high, and it started by winning your first home game as well, people automatically turn up feeling quite positive. Now, that result at the weekend is already a two-point upgrade on last season's corresponding game. Obviously, the next home game is against Wolves, you know, where Wolves, you know, sort of Won at Goodison Park, so yeah. opportunities to build, you know, on that again. So just keep doing that, and the positivity just like continues. It spreads, you know. So fans enjoy what they say, Therefore, they're going to be upbeats. Up- so I'm
3: just going to say an interesting point about the siren and the an introduction of that. I mean, Chris Bascom, our former colleague, yeah. at the Echoes, is well documented. Um, Chris is a is a red, but he obviously writes on Everton as well. But and he was actually saying with the siren now. Um, in addition to just Zed cars as it was, he believes it's the most intimidating atmosphere in the Premier League <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. before the before you've yeah. kicked a ball there. Uh, yeah. he, he he said you know, it has made a difference. It is just don't know if it's simply down to the siren. He talked about for a long time at Goodison Park. Um, the atmosphere was wrong. It was almost like you say. You had to do. The team had to do something to get the um, the crowd going. And uh, David Moyes used to say, "Oh, try and win a corner early doors, get them yeah. you know up for it." But he says that now it, it it has almost turned around there, and there's they're trying to combine almost. I think it was similar to what you were saying, Dave, with you almost counting down the days now at Goddard-son now. well, the number of matches yeah. anyway. So it's a combination of that nostalgia for what Goodison brings and a unique atmosphere with, with the modern outlook as well. It's a bit of a, a, a bit of freshening up and
0: it, it does seem to have made a difference. Yeah, totally. Do you think, Adam, there's been a kind of concerted effort from Marco Silva to kind of get the fans more involved in, in, in the game and been telling his players when it's at home to, to as B said, you know, Try and win corners and win your battles and, and, and get the fans behind you from from the first whistle.
1: Um, I'm not sure that it's been a particular effort in terms of home games. I think it was just, you know, we obviously went through that pretty rough patch in December and January last year, didn't we? And then we had that 17-day break in February and it gave Silver a chance not just to, you know, really embed into his squad what he wanted from them in terms of playing on the training pitch, but, you know, what kind of effort they should be putting in home or away and i think the players have really responded to that like i think silver's silver's ideals are to be a high press and high energy team and i think that that was always going to be the case whether whether playing at home or away it just it just so happens that you know the, i think there was a bit more of a concerted effort from fans to improve the atmosphere rather than there was from the management or the players mm-hmm. cuz you know they, they've i think they've more reacted to what the fans have been doing in the stands rather than anything else but then as Preno says, as soon as that the fans do take that effort, it becomes like you know, an symbiotic relationship between the players and the fans. Then, because now as the players' performances have been growing, the atmosphere has been growing, and it's just it. Hopefully, it just keeps spiralling upwards.
0: Just to to stick with you, then you were our man at the game with with Phil Kirkbride at the weekend. So for for anyone who hasn't seen a, a full ninety minutes, how would you have assessed Jean Philippe Gabamon on his full? Everton Davy made a a couple of little mistakes against Crystal Palace, but Mm. bounced back effectively at Goodison? I think so. I think it was a much better
1: performance from him uh, at Goodison Park. And, you know, I think you were always going to expect that, really. Uh, It will have been a shock to his system, really, being called on so early against Crystal Palace. He definitely won't have been expecting to come on just before half-time, and especially, you know, replacing Andre Gomez as well in the side is never going to be easy. Uh, He'd hardly had much pre-season football he'd hardly really got to know his teammates and he was thrust into the Premier League atmosphere and you know while well, he came out with a couple of critics but I think that was always it was always going to be the case that he was going to have that sort of performance in him if he was put in under those circumstances you know and again it's hardly a surprise that you know with a week longer to get to know his teammates and to get his fitness up he's looked a lot a lot better against uh, Watford there was one particular moment uh, in the first half where uh, he tried quite an ambitious through ball, got cut out and Gerard Delafay was uh, bursting up the other end on a counter-attack and he bust a lung to try and get back, shoulder barged them off the ball and got Everton back on track and that brought a huge roar from the crowd. So that's exactly what Ever- Everton fans want to see from him. I think in terms of his general performance, he can obviously get better. I think his passing was a little bit wayward uh, at times. He seemed to dally on the ball just that little bit too much which I think is you know it just signifies the difference between the Bundesliga and the Premier League at the end of the day I think that's why we're seeing Davy Klassen do a bit better in the Bundesliga because midfielders in general just have a bit more time on the ball to be able to pick out passes so Gabaman needs to learn that he needs to just get the ball and distribute it as quickly as he possibly can but you know as, as part of his learning curve I think that was an important next step and I think he had he had a solid enough game
0: from, from what you saw of him at the weekend, is he a direct replacement for, for Garnagay Is he that similar player, or
2: is there something a little bit different to him? No, there's something very different. I mean, physical presence, you know, so his stature. He's uh, he's a lad that's actually played at centre half in the past uh, because you know he has those physical attributes. I thought he was very good. Um, he started great for half an hour. And then seems to go missing a little bit, and you're going to accept that because you know he is, like I say, finding his finding his way into a, a a new league. And just look at some of the errors that we've seen across the Premier League over the first couple of weeks of the season. Jack Grealish getting caught on the edge of his own penalty area, indeed. Yesterday, um, it is a relentless high pressing, you know, sort. Of League, and you've got to be so switched on right from the start. And if you know two midfielders, of the quality and the experience of those two are getting caught out, you know a lad who's come into you know a new environment from a different league is going to find it a real shock to the system. He was caught out a couple of times against Palace. Less so uh, on Saturday. Like I say, after that first half an hour, I was impressed. I thought he was he was great. Um, he's not going to be a direct replacement for Gay because you know Gay was a great signing. You know, seven point two million for the energy and the spikiness he brought Uh, but he can offer different things uh, like I say in terms of his physical presence um, and his ability to pass the ball Uh, that was you know I know Gay improved in time but that was always part of his game that we always wanted a bit more from. Gabamin appears to have a range of passing and we're only seeing it in flashes at the moment I think we see even more of it you know so as time progresses and uh, yeah he could become you know sort of a very very good acquisition Uh, different to Gay but very very good nonetheless. One man who
0: who definitely impressed on the weekend bees and also turned in a, a good performance, a, a vital performance against Crystal Palace as well. Jordan Pickford and, and Marco yeah. spoke today of, you know, being impressed by his maturity and even came out and said, you know, I have asked him to kinda be be more calm and be a be a calm and yeah. influence on the pitch. Do you think those first two games will be a big confidence boost for Jordan after the kind of ups and downs last yeah, season?
3: Definitely, because like you say, you mentioned those ups and downs his first yeah, good. he was kept very busy, but player of the year. Very consistent season, which obviously earned him the England call-up and subsequent World Cup performances. But um, I think w- once you're England number one, you're, all, you're always under the spotlight. So, yeah, it, it didn't help those those high-profile, um, you know, we can't get away from it. Blunders last season, he was, on the most part, consistent. But whenever you do make an error, it is going to be highlighted. So, yeah, I'd like to see Jordan just... Toning it down a bit, just keeping calm because it should be a plus the fact that um, he's he's good on the ball. He doesn't have to mess about or overplay it. I'd just like him to take you know do a good pass, but a, a simple pass. But also just in his general demeanor as a keeper. So I don't know whether. Fatherhood. He's a, he's a young dad now. Yeah. to calm him down. I mean, um, help him with his maturity um, on and off the pitch. Um, definitely. Um, I, it, that's what what we want to see going forward. Because we know, you know he's one of the top keepers in the league. He just needs to keep a handle on it. What did they say?
2: Goalkeepers are always mad. Is anybody in this room a goalkeeper? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry, host Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think Adam? Then there's a case for you know Pickford, Dean, Gomez, Michael Keane, as you mentioned before all lads in the mid-20s, but do you expect to see the four of them kind of become leaders in, in this Everton team?
1: I think they need to be. I think a, any any successful Premier League side needs to have as many leaders across the pitch as possible, and uh, it's good that we're maybe having a debate. You know, Obviously, we had a bit of a captaincy debate uh, over the summer, whether it was going to be Seamus Coleman or Leighton Baines or whatever, and I think they made the right decision in giving it to Coleman, but after Coleman, there is also quite an interesting debate like of the current squad who who do you think could take it and i think pickford Keane, dean they they would all be fantastic uh, options for that and if you know i've already mentioned Keane's leadership qualities but we're seeing it from luca dean as well you know playing at left back and he's organizing that defense as much as he possibly can you know he's up there helping bernard as much as he possibly can you know he's he seems to be a real influence in that dressing room uh, despite only being there for you know just over a year jordan pickford uh, as as we say you know I hope that he is. He is that little bit more mature last season. Like I think it was the Newcastle game last season that really that really sticks in the mind. You know, yeah. is is uh, the antics the that, that transpired in that match, uh, for want of a better phrase. Uh, it, we, we don't really want to be seeing that again. You know, we like we like to see all of our players being confident, of course, yeah. but you know, also keeping keeping a lid <laughs> on it, uh, especially when your role is as as important as Jordan Pickford. So. It's really good to see him, you know, proving himself to be as important as he has been for the, throughout these two games. You know, we'd be sitting here, we could be sitting here with no points if it wasn't for Jordan Pickford. So, it, it he he has proven himself to be really crucial. And if he can add those sort of leadership qualities to him, then he's only going to be he's going to be a phenomenal keeper in the future.
0: Dave, you you seen Neville Southall's full Everton career? If, yeah. if, if if we can keep Pickford for the next. You know, five, ten years, and he he helps guide Everton back to Europe, and and maybe even to a trophy. Do you think he could? Could he be spoken about in the same
2: in the same breath? Oh, you're raising the bar high there. <laughs> I mean, th- this is a guy after was, myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a guy who was at his peak for three or four seasons from 1985 to 1990, the best in the world. Um, and he just had absolutely everything. Uh, what Pickford doesn't have at the moment is, like I say, that. That, that mental strength, that discipline uh, to be, you know, so, so utterly focused that the absolute top goalkeepers have, but he's still very very young in goalkeeping terms. So there's yeah. a lot of development still to come, and there are signs already that, that he's picking that up. never had his moments early in his career. You know, we uh, stepped back over the goal line at Watford, didn't he, at the start of the 82-83 season? He was sent out on loan by Howard uh, after conceding five in a Goodison derby. You know, to try and get his head together basically, and I came back as a different man, in the, you know, entirely. Um, so, I would never say never. I mean, Jordan Pickford certainly has the qualities to become an absolute, you know, club legend. Um, potentially one of the best goalkeepers that we've had there. Uh, Nigel Martins, the guy that I always say is probably, you know, the, the second best behind uh, behind Neville yeah. uh, that I've seen. Um, I'd liken him probably to Georgie Wood at the moment in that Georgie Wood was an absolutely brilliant shot stopper but had occasional mad moments and um, never really overcame them. And, uh, you know, Everson ended up selling him to Arsenal, where he had a decent career. Uh, but Pickford has the potential to you know, be far better than that and certainly push Neville. We don't know. You know, it's very, very early days. But, yeah, he has all the qualities. Uh, I like him an awful lot. You know, he's a, he's a great goalkeeper um, and becoming more and more reliable now. And, you know, to so have very little to do, you know, at times like he did at Palace, like he did at the weekend, and still make absolutely blind saves at winners' points, they're What the best goalkeepers are made of, and you know he's England number one for a reason. I think there's a, a lot more to come from Jordan Pickford. The Royal Blue
3: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: And Everton fans will be be
0: pleased to see a nice uh, a nice addition to the match of the day team this season in in Tim Cahill. Yeah. Uh, Adam spe- speaking on match of the day said, now Silver's got his players. And there's an expectation as an ex-player, a fan, and the fans sixth has to be the number. Finishing eight, to two years in the spin after spending that amount of money puts pressure on him. Is that something you agree with? Do you think six this season's a, a prerogative for for Marcus Silver for people to see that progression?
1: I think it's got to be the aim. I think I think Hale's absolutely spot on, and it's it's going to be good to see. You know, you know, he. He's- he seems very well connected with the Everton fans. He seems to just think of Everton as a fan himself. So it'll be really interesting across the course of the year to see how you know the Everton fan view is put across on match of the day. And you know this is a this is a fine first example. I think every Everton fan inside, go to some park. You know, at the end of that match, will be thinking, yeah, that was a it was a win. Like, it wasn't the performance that we wanted, but it was three points on the board, and those are the kind of performances that usually push you f- upwards in the table you know you've not played at your best but you've still got the three points so they could be crucial in you know it's going to be an absolutely hectic battle for sixth place this season you'd expect you know Wolves, Everton and Leicester are probably the three teams who are going to be battling from below to try and get into that top six whereas you've got you know Chelsea, Arsenal, maybe Manchester United all in the sights as well like could be six teams battling it out for just two places in in that league table, so it'd be really, really interesting to see uh, to see how that happens. But yeah, I think Everton Everton's aim has to be to finish in Europe because European football has to be has you, you, we've got to have that at Everton. Like we need trophies and we need European football. And if if it's not going to happen this season, then you know you you do you do wonder what Marco Silva's going to have to do next summer.
0: Is it is it a difficult position, Bees? Because obviously, you know, I think, as Adam's kind of pointing out there, that there's five or six teams all going for these places, but, you know, yeah. Chelsea haven't won a game yet, and, you know, United are still obviously yeah. in, in transition, but at the same time, you know, Everton have bought quite young players, some players who don't mm. have experience in the league, so do you think a lot's going to have to come together at the right time for us to have a, an assault? Yeah.
3: yeah, it was interesting, I, mean, I was just reading before, um apparently um, that... Uh, the glazers themselves pulled the plug on the Rojo deal um, because they saw Everton as a direct rival for a European place. this season, so yeah. if if they've got United spooked or certainly looking over their shoulders, um, that, can o- that can only bode well. But yeah, um, it's tough on, on on the on the one regard. I mean, um, Everton shouldn't be uh, anywhere. Near either them or or Chelsea, given their resources, but they are two clubs um, in in a state of flux um, somewhat this season. It was it was interesting actually. Last weekend, I mean, we were mentioning that Gav was watching Everton's opening game of the season over in Portugal. Well, um, I was actually uh, visiting friends over in Manchester last weekend, and I got to watch the Manchester United game at, at the, some local social club there, there in uh, North Reddish. It was like a North, it was like a real life Phoenix club, at stepping back <laughs> time. But um, you know how
2: to spoil the family, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, but yes,
3: yeah, sat amongst the sat very quietly amongst the uh, the yeah. United fans. I mean, they were surprised. They thought United um, should have been behind at half-time, but they really came good um, second half and obviously beat Chelsea 4-0. So I don't know if they've peaked too early possibly, but um, yeah, United and Chelsea, those two clubs, like I say, in, in a state of flux, I, I, it's been a great start for them and they've got all the resources there, United, but still got to be question marks for me with Oli Golden Solskjaer and this ability to manage a club of that level. And Frank Lampard too, obviously under the, the transfer embargo at Chelsea. So they'd be the, the, the two that they'd be looking at. But yeah, you, you given the money that Everton have spent, they have after a couple of seasons finishing eighth on the bounce, they they, they want to see some kind of improvement there. Certainly in, in league positions, but it's tough with um we're with, with the Scouting Wolves but um Finished above Elton last season. After they've got European obligations, if they get past Torino, which is a which is a tough one to get into the, the group stages, and you mentioned Leicester City. So yeah, it's it's going to be busy. But um, I think a big thing will be the kind of start that they had. They've taken four points already. Can get go top of the league possibly Friday night. They win it. Aston Villa, and we saw that season. They finished fourth. You get that early season momentum that can set the pace for the whole season. So yeah, it's definitely about making that um, that good start. I
0: think it's an interesting point, really, isn't it? Proud that you know we don't play a lot of the the so-called you know elite teams or the, the top six teams until a little bit further on into the season. This start now is crucial, as you're saying. You know, if we can just kind of build on the points we, we didn't get last season, you know, like losing a home to to Wolves and and pick them up there then You're going to go into
2: these games absolutely flying, aren't you? It does, it makes a big difference. I mean, that was the really bad card that was dealt Ronald Koeman you know, at the start of that season, where he had like a really, really impossible fixture list to contend with. I think yeah, it was. Later worked out to have been the most difficult start to a season that any Premier League club has ever had in terms yeah. of the previous season's finishing positions so you know it takes away the opportunity of developing momentum and it does it makes such a big difference I'm already looking at the other fixtures and I was made up to see that Wolves actually play to know, three days before they play Everson really yeah that's good <laughs> so in the second leg so you think that'll just take a little bit out of them and uh, just anything you can do to try and you know sort of keep things going confidence develops the players get a bit of a swagger about themselves and they believe that they can beat anybody and it does make a big difference so going back to Tim Cahill, I was made up to see him on match of the day he just balances up that you know um Red bias basically that we've seen. They for don't have so four Liverpool players and on matches today, exactly. do they? You know, just you see so many, and I just think, let's just try and level it up a little bit. You know, yeah. and it was great to see that. And actually, somebody speaking from the heart about Everton Football Club, and let's not forget, one of the very, very big clubs of English football, uh, not had as much success over the last 20 odd years, you know, as the club should have had, but you know, historically are one of the big clubs. So, yeah, it was good to see the BBC address that and actually, you know, to have somebody with Everton at heart in the studio for a change. Not including Lineker in that then, Dave? Well, um, not, not many do, to be fair, because... the was the, air. <laughs> yeah. was the yeah. air. <laughs> I, I think he there. gets a little bit of unfair flack, Gary, because he's... Um, OK, he was only there for one season, and he had that great season. And Whenever he's asked, he always talks about Everton as being the best club he ever played for, and this is a guy that played for Barcelona yeah. and Tottenham. Um, so, you know, fair enough, you know, he does... You know, speak positively when asked, but because he was there for such a short period of time, people do tend to overlook it a little bit, and so maybe you can be accused of that too. But yeah, if you talk about Gary Lineker yeah. being a fo- you know a former footballer, hey, you always think about him as being an England striker because of his World Cup record, because of his record that you know Rooney eventually overtook, and then you probably say Leicester, Spurs, you know Everton probably the final one because he was only there for one season. But you know that, that's that. Yeah, you know, I don't count that as a <laughs> favourite. And a. a First Goodison appearance
0: for 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 Moise Keane. Adam. What what was the atmosphere like when when he came on and and you know I know he kind of missed that that chance at the end. Or he had a couple of chances, I think, but good first impressions from from Moise.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think there was there was instantly a sense of excitement when he was brought onto the pitch. I mean, it was 72nd minute. I think he came on, so he only had a brief little cameo again at the end. And you know you wonder you wonder how long it's going to be when until he starts a game. To be honest, because he came on and I think he had a massive effect and the kind of effect that Dominic Calvert Lewin unfortunately didn't manage to have in the game. And you know, I can see I can see it from Calvert Lewin's perspective as well. He'll probably be thinking to himself, oh well Keane wouldn't have been able to do what he's done if I hadn't have tied out these defenders. But for a nineteen year old lad who's just moved to England from Italy, which you know, as we all know, just really isn't comparable to the Premier League in terms of physicality at least. For a nineteen-year-old lad to come in and give Craig Cathcart and Craig Dawson a real game, as you know, two experienced Premier League centre-backs, you know, he was he was bullying them almost for, the, for strong, those for those for those twenty minutes. Like I think that's the thing that stood out to me most is yeah. is his strength at such a young age. It still looks like he can fill out even more than he has. Uh, he's showed some good pace, some really good skill when he was. Was uh, was it, it cleverly that he beat for that yeah. first for that first chance? Uh, before a bit of a wild shot, which, you, you know, you can expect maybe excitement got the better of him a little bit. I think the second chance he probably should be putting away, and I think in a couple of weeks, you know, once he's got his eye in, he maybe will put away that kind of chance again. But, you know, you'd think maybe excitement's got the better of him again, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the fact that he's managed to fashion himself two chances out when Dominic Albert-Lewin really didn't get the ball in and around the box at all, I think that's only going to play into... Moyes Keane's hands and you know it's yet to be seen whether he's going to be considered fit enough to start against Villa or against Wolves or when he will make that first start but you know if you're Dominic Calvert-Lewin and you're seeing that kind of performance from Keane you've got to be worried and you've got to be looking over your shoulder
2: That that was the big difference for me I mean I was surprised by his strength myself you know we've seen the clips where he looks quick and he looks you know nimble uh, but wow, he showed some strength, you know, because he was facing a very physical Watford side and he was not going to be intimidated. You know, he held the ball up really, really well. But exact echo those sentiments entirely about Calvert-Lewin had 72 minutes on the pitch and never once got a sniff of goal. Moise um, Keane was on for 18 minutes and I know the game was getting a bit stretched by then. I know Watford were throwing men forward trying to pinch an equaliser. Uh, So we maybe got a little bit more space. But he got on the end of two chances very, very quickly. And that's what you want from a forward. You want goals and you want chances. And, you know, you miss one chance. You want to have the strength of character to get back in there and have another go. And he did that. So I don't think it's going to be very long before we see him starting games. You know, Calvert-Lewin's had his opportunities. I think that Newcastle game we were talking about where Jordan Pickford had his meltdown was the the last time that, you know, Calvert-Lewin actually got on the score sheet. So he's had a number of games since then. Um, Much as I like Calvert-Lewin, Great qualities, and he gave his usual enthusiasm and energy. He was strong as well, uh, and he occupied those defenders. But you've got to try and make goalkeepers work. You've got to try and you know get shots off and trouble goalkeepers. Bernard did that great actually, and that was a criticism you can level at him last season. Yeah. Didn't make goalkeepers work often enough, but he did at the weekend. Um, so yeah, that that's a positive, and you know, in his box. But I don't think it'll be long, to be fair, before we see Moyes Keane replacing Calvert Lewin. Is that
0: the unfortunate thing for Calvert-Lewinby, is that as a striker in the Premier League, he seemingly got everything, just except our ability to put the ball in the onion bag, as yeah. they
3: say? and I don't know. You can work on it, but it's almost like a natural instinct to a certain extent. If, you, if you've if you not got that, I don't know how much that can be coached into you at this stage of your career. And he, he has he's come on leaps and bounds. We all know he's a great lad. He's a positive lad. He's very bubbly, intelligent, and he, his hold-up play is great. But ultimately, yeah, it's all about... Creating those chances, taking those chances. And I've, I think that as the season evolves, whether it's weeks or months, you know, it, it, I mentioned this in the podcast with Adam last week. To get um, Keane out of Juventus and to bring him over to Everton, he's going to expect to be the main man up front. And I imagine in time that's what will happen if all goes well.
0: I'm kind of talking about strikers as, as well, Adam. Obviously, the European transfer window is, is still open until the 2nd of September, and Everton have got. You know, Kevin Morales, Yannick Balassi, Cenk Tosin. I think Cuco Martina obviously played Umanias. for the Uman he has forgot all about Humanias. You know five players there, do you do you think maybe Tosun might end up staying as cover, but mm. are you confident of getting rid of the rest and everything Everton kind of stuck in just having to accept that a loan deal might might be the best he can do again this summer?
1: I think confident, no, because you know, it, it's I, be some what, crazy team I mean, in take like, if you exa- want them. Like what what have these players shown in the past year, two years that means they deserve a move anywhere else? Yeah. Which that that's the only problem that I have, to be honest. Balassi's maybe a little bit different because apparently he was quite impressive for that second half of the season again uh, with Andelect. Yeah. But, you know, cancelling that loan with Villa won't have gone down well with any with anyone at the club really. And then, you know, <sighs> How many? How much wages is he going to be on? How much is he going to yeah. cost the potential suitor? Because you know Everton are going to want to recoup as much as the money that they paid for him as possible, and it 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 it's just a horrible situation with a lot of these players, to be honest. And you know, in in a lot of respects, you do feel for these players because they they're not going to be involved at Everton this season. Like it would take if they were to stay, it would take some absolutely monumental injury trouble for any of them to be involved in the squad. Ahead of even like some of the club's youngsters, yeah. So it's it's a it's a horrible situation for them to be in, as well as the club to be in. And you know, you ju- you just hope that they they do find some sort of solutions, even if it it is just loans at this point. You know, if if we manage to get them out on loans, then you know there'll be a few contracts expiring next summer, so that will be effectively the ends of their Everton careers anyway. So it is just the case of just get them out in any way possible. I think.
0: Obviously, the, the financial kind of background of Everton's changed over the last few years, but can can you ever remember a time like this where Everton had so many, you know, relative high earners just kind of, you know, they're not even really in, in the reserve team, are they? They're just totally and utterly not needed, as, as harsh
2: a, as it is to say. It, it's a legacy, unfortunately, of the, uh, the, the Steve Walsh, Ronald Koeman you know, access when you appear to have two guys, you know, basically operating independently, operating independently of each other. Bringing in, you know, sort of different kind of players that they thought fitted their model. Um, and no, I can't remember a period when we've had so much dead water. I suppose is the uh, you know the unfortunate phrase to use, but it is players that are being brought in that are surplus to requirements. Um, players at the wrong end of the age spectrum. In some respects, uh, we didn't even mention Sandra, did we? Sandra Ramirez. We were talking about him actually earlier. Yeah, uh, he's the one that you probably would say. Ironically, did fit the current model. Yeah. And he didn't cost a great deal of money. He was young, 23, was he, when we bought him. And, you know, probably were taking a gamble on, given his record in La Liga. um, Ridiculously high wages, but, Mm. you know, so that apart, you know, it, it, it fits the current model. Whereas a lot of the other players don't, you know, so they are past their best, you know, they are late 20s, early 30s, and, you know, so they need to be moved on sooner rather than later. And that was always going to be, you know, the real problem this summer trying to you know, get those players mo- you know, shifted uh, because the, the wages that they were offered is what makes it such a big problem yeah, yeah. and I think when they do go on loan if they do find clubs that will take them on loan Emerson will end up footing you know, a large proportion of their wages again which again creates a problem and you probably end up having a situation like we had with say Ashley Williams where you basically wait until his, you know, his contract has ended before you can finally part company um, so it, it, it's difficult it's a problem but unfortunately it's it's of Everton's own making just under a different regime yes. and it, it's got to be you know got to be addressed Like Dave says it's, it's
3: the wages isn't it? I'm, I'm sure there are lots of teams who would like to take them on loan but like you say yeah. it, it, it's the wages I mean where's Kevin Morales going to go to he, he exactly set the world alight in Serie A so you think the natural thing for someone at his stage of his career is maybe go back to Belgium but which clubs in Belgium are going to yeah. be able to afford his wages so I'm not, I'm sure there are willing parties who want to take these players, but it, like you say, it's striking a deal over the wages, and you probably end up only then paying a, a small percentage of it, and Evans still fitting the sorry footing
0: the bill. Mm. Yeah. It's it's not just those lads I either. Had them for the under 23s yesterday. You know we had Anthony Evans, Feeney, Beningamy, Connolly, Hornby, Gibson, Adenaran, Markello, All these lads who have either played first team, either Everton or elsewhere, or, or been brought into the club for elsewhere. Some of them for you know pretty decent fears do you, do you think Everton are running the risk of maybe stockpiling play like you know what happens with these lads between now and the end of the football league window
1: you've got to hope that a, a decent chunk of them go out on loan at least because I think you know while it was really impressive to see David Unsworth's side win the double last season I think the belief over the summer was that he was going to have to have a major reshuffle of his under 23s because I think the expectation was that so many of these players were going to go out on loan because there's only so far that you can go in under-23s football. And I think over the last few years, Everton have found this with you know quite a number of players. I think Joe Williams and Anthony Robinson uh, going out on permanent deals this summer kind of sums up uh, this belief now that you know you can get so far in under-23 football, but then you've got to be able to spread your wings and get some first-team minutes under your belt as soon as you possibly can. That's, that is the next stage of progression. And you know, you've mentioned a few of them players there, and they're just too good for under 23s football you know Morgan Feeney was absolutely fantastic Uh, last season you know first game of the under 23s this season playing alongside Lewis Gibson it was a a bit of a joke them two playing together in the under 23s they're clearly too good for it Anthony Evans was on loan at Blackpool last season impressed he's clearly too good for under 23s football now as well Uh, the likes of Fraser Hornby as well you know he needs to be able to get out and you know He's a, he's a big physical striker. He needs to test himself against senior defenders now to be able to progress and push on. You know, If these players want to be Everton players in the future, then Everton need to be able to get them out on loan as soon as possible this summer, I
0: think. Well, Adam, Chris, Dave, thank you very much for joining me today. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You can rate, comment and subscribe on our ACAST channel and also follow us on Facebook at the Royal Blue Podcast group to join in. Uh, and send your comment on everything Everton related. Tune in later on in the week when we'll be previewing the trip to Villa Park, the return to Villa Park uh, when the Blues take on Aston Villa on Friday. I've been Sam Carroll. Thank you very much for listening and have a good week.
1: You've been listening to the
3: Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.